Good morning, good morning. You are listening to Triple H 100.1 FM and stay in the loop with Lucy. Gosh, um, I am so excited about bringing the show to you today because I can see there is going to be an incredible practical application and I suspect it's going to surprise you. Now, if you haven't joined us on this show before, then welcome. You've joined a show that covers health and well-being through connection to people, people in our community and people beyond who share with us their experiences, their decision-making and their consequences, and regardless of age, their innate wisdom. By discerning and getting a sense of what is transferable from what these guests share, we can choose to apply the relevant aspects in our lives and in our community and develop programs that found a more sustainable, loving and heartfelt way to be with each other, thereby improving our physical and our mental health. Now, this show today is about education and it's a particular element of education that is is actually a core fundamental learning that crosses all ages, all jobs, all everything, as far as I'm concerned, and is really rooted in our confidence as well. Today's show is about writing and writing skills. I can only tell you that the um, one of the comments I get from 98% of the students I talk to when we talk about the challenges they face at school is about spelling, grammar, punctuation, and that they just don't see themselves as good writers and, you know, they just don't have the confidence that they are going to make it through their HSC because so many subjects require writing skills. And as a result, they choose subjects that they don't necessarily enjoy um, or that they perhaps would be their strength. Whereas if they had the confidence, they may really enjoy English, but they might not have the skills to be able to get the marks that they need, at which case it then goes off the table because if they can't get the marks, then what's the point in doing it? Really sad kind of um, set of uh, criteria to make a decision. I mean, add to that the, the mix of different cultural and socioeconomic challenges and we have a hot pot of abilities and way too many high-risk potholes to fall in. And it's a stress they carry around because... You know, writing is is what we need in many subjects, but also many careers. And if you think about, um, I haven't met very many adolescents who don't have an opinion. Uh, and if you have an opinion, you need to be able to back that opinion up. Um, and therefore, you need to be able to speak and formulate an argument. And that all comes from the early stages of writing. So my guests to talk about it with me in the studio today are Lydia Hamilton and Mandy Newman. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. Um, now, to quote from your website, they are on a mission. I'm going to say this in my most dramatic voice, okay? So be prepared, listeners. <laughs> they are on a mission to improve the quality and standard of writing around the world. Everyone should leave school with the ability to write a wonderful, engaging story, a powerful, persuasive text, and an opinionated essay. Our books contain all the techniques and scaffolds outstanding teachers use to help trans transition young people to become great writers for the rest of their lives. And, you know, the top tips you're going to get through this show and the additions of the uh, elements that I will share on the uh, pod, the website afterwards that goes with the podcast will arm you to be able to look afresh at the way your relationship as an adult is, and also your relationship with your young person is as a role model around reading, writing, spelling, speaking, communicating, 
But let's have a bit of background. Manny, I'm going to start with you. You've been a writer all your life um, and you're a professional writer for 25 years. So you started out um, your undergrad training in sociology and teaching, but found spelling, reading and writing a challenge. Now that fascinates me. Um, Someone who now has written not, I mean, three books on this particular subject, but many books before that, explain to me how you get you got from not thinking that you were good to actually finding a way to make it your living i i come from a long line of dyslexics <clears throat> my mother really struggled with write, reading and writing and um i think i not to the same extent but i certainly did i can remember sitting in class in year two and everybody else was reading fluently and i just found it quite difficult i think it was a story about dora in particular and i <clears throat> really struggled um but I still had this inner desire to create stories over and over. I used to sit in my room writing novels about little girls called Anna who lived in palaces or some sort of historic home, kind of Jane Austen kind of scenario. And for whatever reason, I just kept going. And I went to university. I found it very difficult in those initial years. And then... I had a lot of help actually from an old boyfriend who actually taught me how to write really wow. for university. And then I actually my uncle helped me a lot as well in the later years of high school. And from there I just fell into positions where I had to write. I had a key moment in my adult life when I wrote an annual report draft for a larger government department and it was terrible. (laughs) (laughs) And I was called into the office by the deputy of the organisation and my boss and she said, my boss said, you present so well in interview. We we believed you when you said, because I'm good at speaking. Um, And then I, um, I said, but this is pretty dreadful, this report yeah. that you've written. And I can remember thinking, because I hadn't taken responsibility for what was on the page, I thought somebody else would come along and clean it up. And that was a key turning point when I realised I had to take responsibility and really learn, start to learn the art of writing. So I, I just fell into journalism. I wrote a couple of books, but it wasn't actually until I did a teaching degree eight years ago where I finally learnt what, what is the actual basis of writing and reading and what is the connection between critiquing a book, uh, writing an analytical response and then creating a story. And I'm so grateful to that study and I'm also really grateful for my latest studies in English at university because I really now truly appreciate how difficult it actually is to learn to write and I think people underestimate Mm. what are the skills that are actually required in order to write fluently and to even and to speak fluently some people are quite natural at it and they Mm. don't realize it real estate agents (laughs) car salespeople yeah Um, politicians perhaps sometimes as well pardon politicians yeah very good brilliant absolutely brilliant priests yeah very good Mm -hmm. (laughs) um Anybody who, and what I find with those kind of people, typically like real estate agents or salespeople, they're often not very good at writing, but they're fantastic at speaking and they don't realise that they actually possess all of the, they're doing it naturally without realising that they're actually students of Aristotle in terms of their ability to speak persuasively. And I think that's, I think school misses those people. 
and doesn't value those people. There are children who can write fluently. They've just learnt how to do it perhaps from their parents or they're the type of kids that the teacher can say, do this and they'll do it. When there's a vast majority of other children who are sitting in the same class, hearing the same information, but they don't necessarily pick it up. And it's because that, that it, their memory doesn't, isn't as efficient as those top children. But it's not to say that those children don't have something very special within them. And that's what I find. I find the kids at the bottom are often fantastic, but they don't have the skills to put that on the page. And I can sit with them and help them get it on the page. And I wish that more children had that opportunity because they do have, you know, wonderful unsung, unsung songs within them. And when you get it out, they're just brilliant. They just blow your mind. Yeah. And they're actually better often than the kids at the top. Like I've had one student who's not in the top groups at one school who's come out with some fantastic analysis of a film, which I have then given to the top student, (laughs) who can't see in the same way. Yeah. And I just wish that school was better at picking up what children actually can't do and help. It's, it's about mastery. It's not about being the best. Oh, could we just apply that to all of yes. our life, actually, <laughs> right now? Um, and Lydia, welcome. Thanks. Lydia, now you, you, you have a completely different approach. So your global marketing leadership, but actually in that global marketing, you are persuasive selling all the time, are you not? Well, yes, it's just about how you get your message across mm-hmm. and um, and the value I found, well, talking to Mandy, we've been friends for a long time and and um, I just said to Mandy the, the content of what she'd written was just so invaluable and that, you know, I struggled at school as well and like Mandy said before, you know, if you didn't get it first time, well, then you just didn't get it and you they passed you by. Mm-hmm. So... Um, if this information and the way of teaching uh, the content of these books was available when I was at school, I think um, things might have been quite different. That's not to say that I'm not, um, you know, I'm really happy with where I'm at and with what I've achieved, but the content of these books and what, um, you know, Mandy's written is just absolutely extraordinary. So I just said to her, I think we need to get this off the ground and um, we need to get this out there. These children who are, you know, dropping through the, um, the gaps need to... Um, have access to this information and maybe we can help some teachers um, get the content into their classrooms. So, um, yeah, so um, communication is really important. Um, I've done a lot of um, studies in communication. Uh, it's, uh, I find with young people these days, they're uh, all about social media and, and texting and that's very quick, short responses. So there's not a, um, you know, they don't actually have to think about uh, putting together a, um, a um, some uh, you know a concise dialogue with someone because they don't actually have to interact. No one speaks on the phone anymore, and um, and so when you get an email from a young person in a in an office, it's often written in text speak. So um, that's I think, so true. Yeah, and so trying to decipher that and that actually irritates um, senior managers because why can't you construct a proper sentence um, grammatically correct? And um, yeah, so anyway, communication is really important and um, it's got to start at grassroots level. And uh, yeah, so that's why I'm how I've come to be involved in this with Mandy. And um, we've, uh, yeah, so everyone's delighted with what we've got. Yeah, great passion, both of you. Well done. Um, So we're going to actually tease that out. Um, We're going to look at it in, in little steps. We might 
take a step back and look at anxiety in writing and why it comes up and what it, how young that starts. We've been talking to Lydia Hamilton and Mandy Newman about uh, their company literary giants but it's bigger than their company this is about their mission to improve the quality and standard of writing around the world and doing it through great cheat cheat sheet books and there's so much more than that but i want people to understand that this is about this is a book that helps you to make it a scaffold to implement very practically in your work um Writing is about expression, isn't it? Now, can you let, let's let's cast ourselves back to our childhood, uh, to those primary school years. Perhaps it's even to communication in the family home. What was it like for you, Mandy, when you were growing up um, at home? Well, we had a family that was very free in expressing <laughs> one's opinion, and and that was great. And I also went to a convent. And Which look, possibly wasn't about expressing freely. No, no, it was. It was actually fantastic. Wow. And, I, and I look back on that. We used to, I mean, it was a bit ridiculous in terms of an educational model, which I didn't appreciate at the time. But um, <coughs> like we had a, a lovely nun, Sister Herskovich, who would take us out to the pond because we did have a pond with yeah. a willow tree and, oh. and koi fish swimming around. And she would read us a book mm. underneath the willow tree and we were so encouraged to express ourselves without censorship when we were supposed to be you know good good servants to the world and care about social justice and change everything and stand up for civil rights etc but in addition we were actually encouraged to have an opinion and um like i remember in year three my teacher would she'd put up huge photographs and we'd sit for 20 minutes and have to write create a story just from that photograph we also would sing all the time, like a Catholic girls' school. You just sing all. I mean, you had to do liturgical dancing. You know, you. Oh <laughs> my goodness! There's a high embarrass, non-embarrassment factor, and actually, from that school have come some like Cats from Kath and Kim went to my school. She okay. Was, um, we had this wonderful drama festival or through, arts festival through the whole of the winter. Every week, girl, we'd write our own plays, we'd have to sing, um, dance, the, the set would fall on top of the dancers, everybody would laugh. So we were just encouraged to have an opinion, to express it creatively, artistically. And I, I've, the students that I see now, in, I don't know whether it's a New South Wales thing, they just are not encouraged to have an opinion about anything, really. Mm. And it really, really saddens me that when you push them off the cliff and say, well, what do you think about this? Mm. The, the, particularly for creative writing, there's, there is stuff there, but they don't tell you. They won't tell you about when they're terrified. Well, I think it's interesting, Mandy, because um, I grew up with a, you know, we were seen and not heard, and mm. you know, I was one of three. I'm one of three daughters, and in our house, it was um, well, Dad's word was the word of the day or word of the house, and you know, we weren't actually encouraged to be um, strong. And or well, we, uh, you know, in later years, obviously, um, Mum has become, you know, a very strong woman who we admire immensely, but. Um, you know, when we were growing up, we weren't encouraged to have our own opinions about things. You know, we'd look at the pretty flowers and they were just pretty flowers. They weren't um, gorgeous ivory, silky. They weren't, we didn't describe anything. You know, we weren't sort of encouraged with that. And in the later years, I went to an all-girls school. And again, same thing. Um, the girls were seen and not heard. Your hemline had to be appropriate. Um, they got rid of gloves 
two years prior to me going there, you know, it was very old fashioned. And, um, and I think now being parents, you know, probably a combination of what you had and what I had probably is kind of the, the, you kind of want children to be children, but yours and you don't want them showing off, but you want them to be, um, have an opinion. And, um, I certainly encourage that at our dinner table every night, Mm. you know, everybody from the beginning has been encouraged to, um, speak what they and to tell to tell us about your day you know and I think it's um you know where you've come from has a lot to do with how you raise your children no question Mm. no question also the danger of that shutting down and dad having the only opinion that mattered Mm. means that you don't value your voice you don't value what you have to say so there's a kind of well what's the point anyway what's the point Mm. of me formulating an opinion if I if no one's actually going to value it that's a deep seed that's embedded quite quite young. And it's as much as, you know, you and I were brought up a while back, um, it's, it's actually still prevalent in, in children today. Yes. Oh, very much so. Actually, that strikes a chord with me because I, I, for 11 and 12, I was living in a very academic household with my uncle and aunt. And that sort of sowed the seed and university did as well actually that you can't have an opinion unless it's fully informed so I was very reluctant to have an opinion (laughs) about anything unless I could look at every single research study about everything which meant that I was very reluctant I know it's so ridiculous and then you meet all these other people like we've got a friend who's incredibly successful left school at 15 um works in the real estate agent space trains and he He's so he calls us the university corner when we have the Christmas party because mm. there's my husband, myself, and another person who all went to university, and we're we're much poorer than he is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he calls us the university corner when at Christmas party or something because we're off there sitting talking about ideas and stuff, and they're all off having a great time, freely expressing their opinions it's, about things. It is a massive clamp around expression, mm. uh, and you know, can I say that I think evidence-based medicine is one of the most dangerous things that we can introduce so everything has to have an evidence brace base well that's fine to a point mm. and it and it is important with with uh, medicinal you know uh, with drugs absolutely but it also caps a lot of our understanding a lot of our free expression a lot of our adventurers our discoverers our invent uh, you know inventors Donald Trump is not restrained by no. facts <laughs> and and this is what's dangerous is you've got a whole load of cowboys you know with their words who will go off and say what they want and then you've got all these others who won't say anything because it's not evidence based yeah. we've got to like chuck that out haven't we because if we don't value um, what people say and actually have the confidence to go, no, you know, what you're saying is is uh, not right at all or it's that that's not my experience. Even just to say that's not my experience mm. and value that mm. that's not someone's experience. We may not have the situation where we've got Donald, Donald Trump as, as president of the United States. You know, people have been silenced for too long and been polite for too long to actually stand up earlier and go, what are you talking about? Mm. Mm. And um, But we don't want to go to the other extreme where we have the abuse and the bullying that happens in the Australian Parliament. And I unapologetically have that opinion because anyone who listens to Question Time for five minutes would no doubt agree with me. I don't mm. think we need an evidence base to, to do mm. that. But I was told when I said that 
that my opinion didn't count as much as a child's opinion of listening to Question Time and calling it bullying. What? Oh. Go figure, right? Mm. Because as an adult, I should be more tolerant to that way of speaking mm. and, a, and a child would be more sensitive to listen to that way of speaking. Oh. And that to me is just epitomises the the... Um, the value the people in authority have over what they will take as valuable and what they won't, what people will take as an authority and what they won't. To so as a child, you're not an authority because you don't have the education, but you actually do have an innocence, and in that innocence there's an authority. But the moment you go against what everybody else takes as normal, uh, you're then written off. Hmm. I've, I, and it's quite interesting. I found with working with young people's creative writing that often they think they don't have any stories inside them. Mm. And I can remember one student in particular, we'd been working on this creative for ages. It was about this time, a couple of years ago, leading up to the HSC. And she came in and said one day, oh, my dad's just sent, my mum's really sort of upset because my father's just decided to pay the la or a um, child support payment. And she was turning 18 in three weeks. And this was the first time in 10 years. Wow. And I said, oh, well, that's a rather interesting thing to write about. She said, really? I said, absolutely. Because you're making all these discoveries about adults, about how you think about your father. Mm. You're, going to, it's going to re, you're going to have to reassess how you think about him and rewrite the narrative that you have had about him. This is why it gets a bit deep and meaningful yeah. sometimes. Yeah, it's great. And it was beautiful. And I, I can remember when I was on prac at, up at, at a local school and these girls in year 11 had to write about change. And they were the bottom class and they all thought they were stupid. It was awful because I did sociology as my undergraduate degree. Mm. It was like living the textbook mm -hmm. about yeah, self-fulfilling prophecy, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And I said, no, no, girls, you've all got an interesting story inside you. Let's have a look. And one girl said, oh, is this change? She put up her hand. And I said, oh, well, let's have a you know." She said, my mum drove my brother and I to a bus stop when I was eight. And she said goodbye and left us there and we never saw her again. And I said, that's change. Yeah. And they just don't even realize. And, and the educational theory says that you start with young people are at and you take them from the known into the unknown. And that most people do have the life experience, which will give them enough of the knowledge and understanding and comprehension and articulation of experience, which they can then put into their own learning. Mm -hmm. And it, it just works every time. Yeah, every time. Because someone's normal is another person's not normal. Yes, yes. And it's about understanding, you know, that, that to grow up and not have a dad in the house or to grow up with your mum having left you, they are, what, what they experience is change. It might be so young that that's their normal, but then actually to have a family unit around them that would be like massive change that would be weird but the, what they would discover in it if they could discover it in more than one sentence would be incredibly illustrative I mean well, it would create the picture that's yes. why we write you know C.S. Lewis said we read to know that we are not alone yes. that's the whole point it's about fundamental sort of series of human experiences and one of the reasons we love narrative is because it it makes you go back into your own memories and it helps you try and reassess what how you may understand something that's happened to yourself. It has a purpose, a much higher purpose. Yeah, we might talk about <laughs> diary writing when we come back and how oh, we can yes. have a look at that. Have either of you done that? 
I did go. I've gone through periods. Yes. <laughs> pages. Yeah. I was only thinking to myself, Mandy, you've got to get back to morning pages. <laughs> <laughs> Stay in the loop with Lucy, Triple H 100.1 FM, with my guests in the studio today, Lydia Hamilton and Mandy Newman. Welcome. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> now, we've been talking so far about... really a great understanding of how our upbringing does influence our relationship with writing and reading and the importance the the importance of those early influences that I mean I I can still picture your the nun who was who took you down to a pond and a beautiful weeping willow to talk to you I mean it's out of a book already isn't it I felt so sorry. I feel so sorry for the children of New South Wales that they don't get to have that. Yeah. And it's just not fair. Yeah. Sorry, the old Catholic. <laughs> well, the social justice it coming is, up. It is, there. it really does. Yeah. And that's where I, I can remember I, in the early draft of these books, it was all together. It was massive. I can remember showing it to my mum who struggled with it. It was just so desperately sad because she was so wonderfully articulate. And we did write a book together, which meant I sat next to her and just asked her questions and I would type. And she was so naturally, beautifully evocative in her expression. And But the challenge, she tried to do a master's in oh, organisational health etc at UTS and she came home from the first lecture she must have been in her late 60s and she just cried she said I just can't do it Mandy it's just it's just too hard and um when I showed her this early draft of the book she read it and she cried again and she said if I if I had had this it would have changed my life mm. and that's the thing like yeah. when you do explain it it is difficult because you have to draw so many different threads together to express the world on the page but when you do when you have fantastic teaching it opens up so many possibilities and so many young people can't and older people can't either because of the experience that they've had yes so it silences them mm. well I think the um, teachers um, you know there's some fantastic teachers out there mostly you know there's a there's a lot of um, very inspiring teachers but there's also a lot that are, um, you know, just in it for the, you know, the school holidays and the, you know, they they might not necessarily have come to it with the right, um, I don't know. I, I, well, they um, like the relationships with the kids, yes. the social atmosphere. So, and they do wonderful work. But I think um, if you're an English teacher, um, well, if, it, if you're a teacher full stop, you have to be able to inspire children and make it interesting and make it fun. And um, I, I think that's absolutely paramount because the children in those classes will get so much out of it. They'll be excited to do the homework. They're excited to get good grades because they're being inspired and motivated um, by a teacher who's who wants to be there because they want to teach children. Um, I think that you know, the power of those teachers is is enormous and we should never underestimate them. And I, I wonder if, in fact, that, you know, the ATAR to get into teaching is is perhaps not high enough and maybe we need to... We, we need smart people teaching our til- our children. They're mm. the future. And, and teachers who really have a, a part of them that wants to nurture that lowest socioeconomic group to know that they can do it as well. You know, I, I, to, to have all the best teachers focused on all the best kids i i get it i mean we've got to we've got to train our future leaders we've got to train etc etc but the trajectory for health physical health is directly correlated to education mm. so we cannot just write off half a school as not being in the top 
four percent. We no. just can't. We have to educate in a way that 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 teases out of each and every student the way they work and the way and who they are and how to express that on paper. Mm. You know, history. That's all essay writing. Let's let's learn how to analyze history and also not take it that just because that's how it was repeated, that's necessarily how it happened because it's mm. always going to be someone's opinion who wrote the book. Mm -hmm. Mm. But I think also, you know, it actually does start with English because I noticed with my children, um, a couple of really good English teachers and, and a tutor here, you know, or there, and and that has actually improved their short answer yeah. responses for geography, for science, yeah. for history. Yeah. You know, PDHP. in all of those subjects, absolutely, in every one of those subjects, you have to write a, a response. Uh, extended responses, you need essays, all the rest of it. And if you mm -hmm. get the basics of English um, right mm -hmm. and how to analyse, yep. um, then that actually puts you in good stead for answering questions for every other subject. Totally so agree. It's really important. It's also because and it's not just essay writing either, it's no. persuasion. Mm -hmm. There's yes. so much of the curriculum which is actually about, supposedly, um, teaching them how to be persuasive. Yes. And through PowerPoint presentations or through podcasts or through web pages, and it is actually becoming in the relationship between what's being taught at school is increasingly coming closer to what's actually going on in the outside world. And when you have a fantastic teacher, they can actually help people become learn to be more. A lot of kids are actually naturally persuasive. They don't realise it. Yeah. I always ask my students, who's this talker in the class? They're probably not very good student because they're too busy talking and trying to undermine the authority of the teacher <laughs> so they can just have a good time without doing any work and they, they know they know who the funniest ones are and who the um, the ones who can talk back and often those kids are incredibly clever and they're, they're working hard not to have to write but then you want to draw on that experience to teach the others about how to become more persuasive because the thing I also find is that a lot of the top kids yes they can write well but they're not actually very persuasive no so I do go off on slight angles <laughs> i want to take us off on a slight angle because i have a um i have one of my real work the things that i really a bugbear i guess is the language that we use that is abusive and because social media is so quick at the moment and actually young people do have opinions mm. but sometimes their opinions are abusive or they are because they're saying something in a very short sharp way they're encouraged to have this form of wit that is actually unpleasant mm, yes. and you see adults in the blog space and adults um, on Twitter and a whole load of other places whose sole job it is is to be that smarty pants mm. in the classroom and just cut people down and come out with those so there's a real responsibility with the expression that you put out there your writing or your or your verbal communication and actually, responsibility in writing is something that we also need to bring in with that persuasive mm. conversation because otherwise we have politicians and marketing people. Um, you, I know you're representing a marketing person here today. But you, um, <laughs> no, it's not talking about you. Um, who can lead us into thinking that sugar is good for our health, that oh, no. alcohol is good for our health, that doctors can smoke and it's really cool. And you know, now we look back on that and go, what? Mm. Even that the world was flat. We, yes. were con we were convinced and we were told we weren't allowed to think otherwise. You know, I, I just think there is an ethical responsibility 
with every form of communication and we as we encourage people to speak one of the things we have to also encourage is the responsibility and accountability of what comes out of our mouth that is a free resource mm. yeah well, if you look at the harvard um, english department they've got a sort of list of why you should study english and one of the things is is actually um ethical understanding that one of the reasons we look at Hamlet is because you're looking at the ethics of revenge, which is obviously in sort of very broad, dramatic terms, but if you narrow it down, mm-hmm. it is about how do you respond honourably when somebody in your family has been corrupted or hurt in some way. And I definitely agree with you. I think the problem with social media is that it is devoid of an ethical consideration. Yes. And it is quite difficult. And I don't see many discussions going on at school about ethics. And the problem is, in part, is because ethics is quite controversial. Mm-hmm. And well, it seems to have been caught up that if you don't do religion at school, you talk about ethics. Well, hello, mm. surely... You don't talk about it in the high school space. No, no. definitely some not. schools no. do. I can remember, like... Um, I can remember I was actually just talking to the teacher on Friday night where my daughter goes to school and she had to write a, a persuasive piece in Year 9 about how to solve what was the European Europe refugee crisis at the time. And she'd come up with a few solutions but not many and she'd been marked down because she hadn't come up with any solutions. And I said to this teacher, but nobody's come up with a solution. Like, how can you fix this? <laughs> yeah. And she said, well, the retro girls have to come up with solutions. That's what, you know, part of their creed. And I said, oh, God. Um, so there are some schools which discuss it and encourage that conversation, but by and large they don't. And you can see lots of companies don't do that yeah. either. Like there was an insurance yes. company in the Royal Commission last week I think that hadn't changed, had been told that they needed to change by a compliance expert of their website because they were making all these promises on the landing page about what all their products could do. It was actually untrue. Mm-hmm. But because they wanted to be persuasive, yep. that... that consideration of ethics had been ignored. Um, Cambridge Analytica got into the same trouble where they had identified, they were taking knowledge based on people's personality profiles as to whether or not they were conscientious or ethical on the basis upon which they made decisions. They're taking the data from Facebook, giving that to Donald Trump's campaign, working out messages which would be effective and change people's behaviour for the American electorate and then changed behaviour as a consequence. Mm. So then there was a problem with the ethics of using that information for that. And the law hasn't necessarily caught up with how fast people have embraced social media. Do you think it it just shows how manipulative we are and how we fear free will and free choice? Mm -hmm. Because if people have free choice, we can't control them. I mean, hello, how many teachers might go into education because they want to control a class? Mm. Or, you know, how many people go into politics because they might want to control a, a larger class? Or, you know, well, I mean... Actually, and that's another reason why we actually do need to learn about persuasion. Yes. Because we are being manipulated all the time. All the time. Yeah. And I think... And, and I, mean, I suppose one of the objectives of the English curriculum is to actually teach people how to be manipulative, how yes. to use language so that you get people to do things or visual medium and then alongside of that then you need a consideration of ethics but the problem is not everybody has the same understanding of what ethics actually is. So perhaps alongside talking about persuasion we should talk about you know we should get them to learn about critical analysis and critical analysis is really good because then you can see the persuasive speaking but you can Mm. also see the manipulation. We're supposed to that's also supposed to be in the New South Wales. Yeah. It's all around Australia. Yeah. But then that means um, 
it gets, it does get very complicated. I had a student this week. He's in year 10 and I showed him two short pieces from an exam that they do in year 12 in um, England and one was from The Handmaid's Tale and one was from, what was the other one? Oh, The Help. So I said, I looked yeah. at The Handmaid's Tale and I said, well, this is going to be about feminism and about the how women are treated and patriarchy. And he just looked at me with this blank expression. Yeah, what, what no are those? Know. What's <laughs> feminism? What's patriarchy? And, and I think... Hmm, I wonder what his parents would think yeah. if we're going to start those discussions. But the schools are having these discussions all the time. Mm-hmm. Similarly with the help, I said, well, this is going to be about racial discrimination and history of racial inequality in the United States. What do you think about that? And he went, again, blank oh. expression. <laughs> like, what are we talking about this for? And if you look at the Year 12 curriculum, like a lot of um, it's, they do 1984, so it's about to yeah. I had a kid in Year 7 who did... The Giver by Lois Lowry, and her first sentence was, Lois Lowry is, uh, this book is about the totalitarian, dystopian world created, blah, blah, you know, lack of individual freedom and free will. They do talk about these things. Yeah. They don't understand. You've got to bring it alive though, haven't you? Because Shakespeare is so boring, according to, I mean, I personally love Shakespeare, but it's so boring because they're Mm. not encouraged to talk about it in relation to Today's everyday life. to everyday life, mm. and that's where you know we, we, they miss out because really, I mean, how many hundreds of years ago did he write? And he could be talking about our political, you know, our the machinations exactly. that go Julius on behind Caesar. the scenes. Yes, Julius For, Caesar during the Malcolm yeah. term. But I just wanted to keep saying Julius Caesar. Yeah, Julius Caesar. yeah, we've <laughs> learned nothing. Mark Antony. Yes. Better at rhetoric than Brutus. Yes. Can't you take any lessons from this, people? <laughs> I love it. But yes. that's, in a way, that's that's how we could teach mm. because, or how the conversations we could have around our, our dining room table or dinner table. And yes, it would be great to have dinners together because then you can actually enjoy each other's company and have conversations like this, which makes them call for deeper conversations with people around them. Um yeah, to, to actually go. Well, in Victoria, for their HS or well, VCE, they part of their um, examination is that they actually have to write a persuasive piece about a political event that happened in Victoria within the month of June, I think it is. And there's four issues that they yeah. identify and the young people have to write about that. Great. Which I think... That's fantastic. Yeah, can you see that happening in New South Wales? <laughs> Probably no. not. Journalism 101. So it sounds to me... <laughs> that uh, ACT is more advanced. ACT is more progressive in progressive. terms of their um, uh, curriculum. Okay. Like it's more student-focused. They get a, 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 role, a role of autonomy in terms of being to choose what they study. Wow. It's more open in terms of um, the kinds of subjects. It's not just so strictly academic. You can, like I can remember they could... That you could do car maintenance if you wanted to, Fantastic. plus art, plus sociology, plus extension maths or whatever. Uh, Victoria is more open. I think most of the other curriculums around the country are more open. So West now they combine it with TAFE now. That's that's yes. how they're combining yes. that. They outsource. Well, Western Australia seems to be um, very focused on literacy. Um, we've been blown away by the um, response we've had from WA and uh, the teachers... Um, they have ordered a number of our books and are using them in, in their classes. Mm. And, um, you know, their, their NAPLAN or their results, you know, NAPLAN results are, are showing that, you know, that they are focused on on helping children with writing. And um, 
which is fantastic, you know, and uh, they've not, um, uh, I guess, bowed down to public pressure about um, maintaining that. It's, it's I don't standard. want to get into NAPLAN discussion, but because um, <laughs> it's such a political hot potato and very divisive. Mm. Um, but I think that, um, you know, they're just continuing on. They've decided their course and they're focused and their results, whether you like it or not, are, are, um, are fantastic. They're speaking volumes. So WA seems very focused on literacy, and uh, which is great. It's, ex- it's exciting to see. Well, so. It just gives children mm. a better foundation to be able to then build on to choose whatever career they want to to choose because they're going to understand the contract that they sign whatever job they go Mm. for whether it be you know a supposedly lesser role um or a leadership role i mean either way they need they're going to have a contract to sign they're going to have they're going to need to be able to hear in an interview they're going to have to express in an interview it sounds yes. all of those are foundational skills that come through that early literacy so uh lucy we were you were talking earlier about um social media and the fact that you know there's a everybody's quick to uh, throw a one line as a, a response to something you know in the corporate world or in the business world you can't do that so um you know you receive an email you perhaps don't like the tone of it or you don't like it well you can write a response but don't send mm. just sit on it yeah and come back to it and reread it an hour later when you've cooled down and in, not in the heat of the moment anymore. You know, re- reread what you've written. Sure, write it down, but don't hit send. Yeah, yeah I think there's a sense of si- like a civil so- civil society in yeah. a sense, like what the social rules are. Mm. Whereas I think, um, I mean, I was very conscious of that because my first big job was working at the Anti Discrimination Board years ago when before sexual harassment became popular or more well known. And we had to educate people about really please think about you're not mm. a private person, you're not a citizen, you are actually part of an organisation and you have social obligations. And I can remember when I went back to did my, do my teaching degree, Facebook had just become really popular. And I can remember being very reluctant to get on there because I had a very strong sense of my own privacy, which I didn't want to share mm. with other people. And the young ones are just going, you're crazy, Mandy, what's your problem? You're, come on, get with the program. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, well, I had something to learn from that in the sense of not being as precious about something which I didn't really have anyway, which I thought I did, but not yes. really. And I admired them in a way for caring less than I yeah. did, but I can see that there's a terrible social consequence well, and the brain development has to be brought into account because mm. you think through the consequences, whereas yes. their brain saying you only live once, let's just go for it. And yes. I, but I do think a lot of young people don't see words as having as much value as we do yeah. and what they mean. Absolutely. They throw it away yeah. much more so, whereas older people might bring a, a different understanding of what all these words actually mean, whereas for them they don't seem to They'll just throw out a few random obviously yeah they just tend to throw out a few random words whereas we'll talk around it and sort of explain our way around something or you know i think that they're um quite happy to quick fire back with something Mm. you know um, i do admire them in that in some respects because they feel they're obviously free feel free to do that their opinion but but the problem is (laughs) what they're saying is not necessarily yeah Mm. yeah my guests in the studio today are Lydia Hamilton and Mandy Newman. Welcome, both of you. Thank you. Really, we're talking about how much we have waiting in the wings. I was sharing that I have so many blogs, half written, half... I mean, I, I seem to be much better at my um, expression on the radio. I know the idea. 
I find the person who I'm going to talk about it with and I and I have them all rolled out. But I have an equal number, you know, in the wings for writing and yet there's something that holds us back. Mm. What is it do you think that we could use as a role model perhaps that would help us cut through that and just go for it who are the inspirations out there <laughs> just press send <laughs> no, seriously yeah. I, I'm actually quite serious about that um, they're just not constrained and I think the problem I, I really identify with that because I, I was just saying that I've had these books sitting in probably as soon as I started my teaching degree which is six or seven years ago mm. I just realized the scale of what needed to be done to be a good English teacher and I thought, oh, this is crazy. I'm going to write a book because that seems to be my solution to things. <laughs> and um, so I did and it's taken me forever. And and then I thought, I can't publish this because I might be wrong. Yeah. What happens if I'm wrong? What happens if what I'm saying is really rubbish? What happens if all those English teachers say this is absolute crap? And it wasn't until dear Lydia came into my life <laughs> who is not struck by analysis paralysis to the same degree that I am, or perhaps she is with other issues. Other things. I've got my own baggage. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. it took her two years yes. to convince me to be brave enough to push it out into the world. And even even now, I'm still terrified. I think not as much, but even to push it out even further. Because, and I don't know what it is. It's just this little voice inside me which says, you could be wrong. You could, and then and I, the, the sensible part of my brain says, but who cares? Do you think people are judgmental or do you think well, that my we, inner feel, voice does. we feel that everybody's judgmental, you know, whether they are or not, okay. because we see lots of people being very judgmental? Yeah, particularly on Twitter, like yes. social media. That, that yeah. does the feedback from, well, it's not even real. It's only like a, an idea I have in my own brain yeah. that I will get all this negative feedback. And then I think... But I don't really care about that, particularly as they get older. And there only seems to be one word that seems to resonate, or two words, actually, as my children say, <laughs> which I won't say on the radio. Um, but certainly as you get to a certain age, you just think, but if not now, then when? Uh, if not now, then when? If mm. not me, then who? Exactly. Yes. You and know. why should somebody else take that space? Yeah. Because I do have friends who are not burdened by this sense, like this voice, this, that's telling, I suppose it's the, um, what do they say in sociology, uh, psychology, the critical, the inner yeah. critic, yeah. they're not burdened and they're just going out there and doing it. So we are far more critical, it's us mm. who's, who are critical of ourselves, inner voice. our inner, inner voice, voice yeah. that then actually is criticising others. Yes. So when you when you think that other people are going to be critical, it's because you're being critical first. So mm. it seems to come back, as it always does on this show, to our relationship with ourselves and yep. nurturing ourselves and loving ourselves enough that we value our voice. They've got to get back to those um, morning pages. Yeah. Because I found that if you do that in the morning, just when you wake up and you're still connected to your subconscious which yeah. is quite freeing as yeah. opposed to the conscious self yeah. who, who senses um that's where you find what you really want to do it's quite frightening what comes out on my pages you, you said something earlier which i'm going to bring onto air because when you talk about the conscious and the subconscious for for me you said that when you're little you've got that multi-dimensional you're more than a body Yes, your body, you're free in your body, but you're actually aware of the the bigger uh, energy that we come from. And then as we go through education, you just become your head. And university is all about your head. And it is, I'm in the middle of it, so I get that. However, when you're asleep, 
you have the potential to come back to your body because that is your body's very physical calling to recharge, to rest. It, it, it will, it's, it's where health starts and finishes in your sleep, doesn't it? Lack of sleep and, you know, you're into a whole load of, uh, a, a whole load of trouble. Um, so my sense is when you wake up and you write in the morning, you're actually far more physically connected with yourself yes. and that uh, flow in your body and therefore you write from a much deeper knowing than you do because by the end of the day you're more in your head mm. potentially mm. if you haven't yes. had a practice during the day of your body do you do you get that Lydia um yes I most mornings oh, I generally sleep quite well so it's quite good in that I wake up feeling quite fresh and ready to tackle the day um, as far as morning um, notes that Mandy was alluding to, I actually like at the end of the day just writing down to let my go summary of the day. Yes, and yeah. it's like it's a, you know, letting go of what's happened, you know, and um, just, you know, uh, five lines, you know, or five, five sentences even. Yeah. And it's just, oh, well, so I had this meeting and then, oh, yes, and we had a... Yes, totally. It's a kind of like a reflection. And, um, and then, you know, obviously... Um, we generally try and have family dinner every night if we can, depending on schedules, of course. But, you know, and then that's also another great way of talking about and drawing it out of the children about their day. And so it's like, well, you know, you're done with that. And then I say to them, right, well, go and have your shower and then you're ready to bed, you know, so that you're yeah. going to bed with a clear head, yeah. so to speak. Yeah, um, that you're back in your body. You've let yes. go of your thoughts so and must-dos and need-tos. Writing to's. something small at the start of the day, writing something at the end of the day, discussing it, uh, something about the day with your family is also another... Um, great way to um you know uh, get down your thoughts or, mm. or articulate how you're feeling so um i think yeah it's an invaluable process however you do it i've uh, hillary mantel did a post or a story in the guardian a couple of years ago and she wrote about her favorite writing book and it was written by this woman from in 1932 and I went and found a copy of it in the internet and I was absolutely staggered. It's probably the best writing book I've ever read. And she was the one that talked about connecting with your yourself, really. And the way to do that is to go through a process of reflection. Yeah. And, and I started doing it. And I think because when you wake up sometimes you start, you take on the mantle of the life that you've created for yourself and you're not necessarily doing what your inner self wants to and writing can actually be a way that you can connect with who you really are and what it is that you really want to do. Yes. Because when I started doing these morning pages again, because I've done them before, because every writing book actually says do morning pages and I realised they've got it from this lady from 1932. Yeah. But I started writing what I really wanted to write. It was like, oh, my God, there's like this dystopian, crazy novel. I've got all these ma ma amazing, unique ideas about to write yeah. in a, a novel form and I know that they're going to be transcendent. I know that they're going to cut through and now I just have to take on the task of actually writing them but I know that I'll be much more satisfied with myself because that's the kind of thing I actually do well they'll write. be out of your body and as opposed unique. to living in your body mm -hmm. yeah goodness me the time has uh, has flown past and we're we're just coming up to our top tips now um what we've talked about so far it has been the importance of understanding writing from a very young age of the 
the difference of creative writing, persuasive writing, writing theses, writing, being able to critically analyse so that you can keep yourself yourself, um, safe, you can keep yourself uh, aware of the manipulation that's going on around you, you can express yourself so you can lead, whether it be in your class, in your community, in your country, Uh, internationally wherever you go whatever job you're in just being able to hold yourself and express yourself in that way just I really feel this morning we've shared that this is what we are learning in school has the potential to be a whole body experience if we if we approach it with the right end goal in mind then it becomes their journey and it becomes all of our opportunity to discuss things around the table. Even Shakespeare. <laughs> Love Shakespeare. Um, but I had a teacher, Dr. Locke, still remember his name. He was amazing. He, he made me love... He made me love Shakespeare because he mm. got me thinking about it in such a different way. Yes. And so... You know, what are our top tips that we can offer out to our audience now who can then walk away and go, hey, it doesn't matter if I haven't got a teacher in my life that does that for me. What can I discover and how can I just have have a longer sentence than okay or good? Well, <laughs> um, I think it's um, it starts when they're quite young. So I think that... Um, but it's never too late. So I think that your children, um, they learn from the behaviour that you display. And so if they see you reading, then um, they will obviously replicate that behaviour and that's a, a, something that you can encourage from the very beginning and very early on. Um, and, of course, you know, reading to your children is invaluable. Um, and uh, I know parents who, who um, are helping with their children in high school, their homework, helping them get through, you know, they might be struggling and encourage them to read a page and you read a page, you know, so it's never too late to help with that. And because um, some children still find reading hard as they get older. Um, so I think that um, that's definitely um, an invaluable activity can be done at any age, you know, just share the, share the load, sit with them. Um, I think, you know, I've mentioned before sitting around the dinner table or when they get home from school, just afternoon tea even time, if you're able to um, chat about what's happened during the day. Yeah. Um, and, you know, how did they feel about that? Yeah. You know, I think that's really important. Um, the news, obviously, is, um, you know, there's a lot going on. Um, strawberries. Must talk about oh, strawberries. Strawberries, I know. Cut them, don't cut them out. Goodness yes. me. Yes. Oh. That's so, actually persuasion. There, it is. Cut the, yeah. And and bring in, talk about what's going on in the everyday world because yes. you do actually talk about that in the classroom mm. and articulate mm. it, encourage reflection and action. Talk about, I find um, my daughter had an issue just in the last couple of days at school and uh, we talked about it and then I said, I asked, what would your dad or bring someone else's perspective in as well. My, my husband's fantastic at using verbal put-downs, but only in situations where somebody needs to be defended. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Well, actually, that's not true. But, <laughs> <laughs> but he's, very, he's very effective in shutting down bullies. Yeah. So um, we asked him, what would you say in X, Y, Z? And it's completely different. I've learnt to be more like him because I used to always say, oh, don't... Um, please don't be mean to me. And that's the worst thing you can ever oh, say. That just well, you become it. a victim exactly. straight away. Exactly. It's, it's actually so you need to your draw voice. in on the wisdom of all yeah. the family. Yeah. Particularly because men and women do tend to approach things quite differently. You yes. need both. Yes, I think so. 
Um, I think, and also, you know, we've talked about writing every day for five minutes. I think mm. that that's really encouraging um, to do that. And, um, you know, when they're young, you can play word games. Um, you know, it, it's quite funny even now. My children are, you know, teenagers. And, um, you know, if you get a winter uh, wet day in the holidays, oh, fantastic. To me, for me, that's awesome. Let's dig out some games and just, you know, a jammy day. <laughs> yeah. Where you just don't leave the house and, um, you know, you might play some games. Well, we, you know, all those beautiful games that we invested in years ago, they don't get too much veneering these days. Um, and I think that, um, you know, we encourage the discussion and the description of things, you know, and you can, there's never too late to do that either. You know, we were laughing about um, a discussion that we had recently um, when we were chatting with Anna Mulder on ABC Radio uh, National in the New England area and, and we were talking about, she said, oh, how do I encourage my children to talk about things descriptively? And I said to her, well, you know, um, roast dinner, you know, the, the crispy um, golden potatoes that were fluffy inside, oh, you know, delicious. and it conjures up this, oh, wow, you know, you can actually almost taste them when you start um, describing roast we're potatoes. We're going to have such fun <laughs> at dinner tonight. So, so <laughs> you know. And that's a golden rule in writing yes. is being specific. Yes. And it's not just for creative writing, it's actually for essay writing as well. Yes. In terms of thesis statements, trying to be as specific as possible because you're trying to create an image in the mind of yeah. the reader. Mm. And Lydia is a natural <laughs> at describing <laughs> food. Cookbooks are fantastic. Yes. That's, and, and, and learning to, I mean, I realise, learning to describe the world in yeah. a intimate, detailed way. So know what different trees are, know what different plants are, know... I find Australians mm. aren't... I know this is dreadful generalisation, but we're not really great at describing the world around us, but an English person, American person can be really... a Spanish person. Yeah. Their level of... Whenever on the news... In the Greenfeld disaster, all those English people who could just beautifully articulate yeah. what had oh. happened, whereas an Australian would typically say, "Oh, words cannot describe." Yes. <laughs> and every time I the tower the burnt down, that was yes. it. Yeah. It's like no, Find no, no. The fire. <laughs> and people were running, and that, that's a lot for mm. an Australian. Yeah. Every time I shout at the television, saying, "Please don't say it. Please tell me. I can't. I can't explain. Mm. I don't know what's happened to you." Can you please use your words? I think that's where we've used pictures, haven't we? Because we we don't have the words, so we let the pictures. But, I mean, yes. that's, that's actually quite traumatising. Mm. It yeah. is. It is. Harrowing. Harrowing. So, um, yeah. All right. And Any sensory other? Detail. Sensory detail. What can you see? What can you taste? What can you touch? What yeah. can you smell? Yes. All good writing. Yeah. Pretty much the first five sentences will convey sensory detail. Yes. Very, very important mm. in all kinds of writing. Okay. Yeah. Journalism, uh, fiction, poetry. Go and read some poems by, read Charles Dickens, not even the whole book. Read the introductory um, chapters of any of his novels and you and then you, what the, the secret is you steal, 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 steal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or learn from Anyone it. doing the HSC, just stay calm. Yeah. It'll all be fine. It's this doesn't define you. This no. is um. No. Just another step and, um, you know, there's so much more once you leave school, so stay calm. I remember my daughter saying to me, Mum, you keep saying this doesn't define me, but for 12 years <laughs> you've told me that the HSC <laughs> is going to define me, so could we just get real and and actually say that we're now, re we're now changing the goalposts? And I said, well, absolutely, and I think it's because we have now all seen so many young people get it out of perspective mm -hmm. and, and actually end up, you know, getting to a place where they self-harm or they take their life. Yes. Um, and it's not that big. 
it really isn't. There are just so many roads. Uh, your education doesn't define who you are. And actually, I wonder if you didn't get the same opportunities that someone else might have gotten. And yes. therefore, let's find those opportunities for you rather than you, yes. you know, put yourself so in So just that. on that, because I'm very conscious of the fact that um, the HSU students are now finishing up their, their academic you know, their classrooms and the classes and what have you. And um, school is so structured and school is so structured in that there is a bell for recess, there's a bell for lunch, there's sport training if you play sport. Yep. There's all of those things that happen every day and it, school is your social, it's your your everything. Yeah. So in this time between now and October the 18th, which is the first English paper, try and get a structure. Just plan a week at a time, you know, Put in place a little um, timetable for yourself, which kind of replicates a school day. And maybe you'll have a maybe you'll do some more study after dinner and have a bigger break during the day, so you can see some friends. But try and create a structure one week at a time, and just you know stay calm about it. But make sure you're getting some exercise, just like you were when you're in the school, you know, in the school grounds every day. Great idea. And um, you know, um, and go to the library, maybe different places, because yes. I know Kuringai Library have got some events on. They've yes. got a an HSC lock in night where you can do a barbecue, but they also close the library, so it's just for students. Oh wow, that's great. Gordon Library is great as well. It's yeah. really oh, That's what I meant, Gordon Library, oh, sorry. great. And okay. if you've done nothing, just do 10 minutes a day. It's called the Pomodoro Technique. Get a tomato timer and just put it on for 10 minutes and just do 10 minutes every day and you'll be shocked at how much you, you would have improved in that time. Oh, I like that idea. 10 minutes a day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there was a guy who did a research study of himself because he was, wasn't doing very well. He almost failed his first year at university. So he just decided to do 10 minutes because they thought the expectation of doing an hour was just unrealistic. And he, I think he went from a D to a C. Great. And the other thing is, answer the question. Yeah. Most people do not answer the question. And there was another major research study done in the United States which showed that the difference between an A and a B is pretty much that somebody's answered the question. Oh, all right. Those are our top <laughs> tips. Thank you so much, Mandy. Thank you so much, Lydia. Thank, Thank you, Lucy. Um, Thanks, how Lucy. can they get your books? Yes. Okay, so our website is um, www.literarygiants.com.au and um, we've got an online shop there and we've got contact details. So if you have any questions, you can contact us and we'll be or delighted to hear from you. library to yes. purchase them because we really do want to get this information out to as many people as possible. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Local Thank libraries. You. While you're studying, say, hey, could you get this book and I need it right <laughs> now. <laughs> Fabulous. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. So I look forward to catching up next week. Um, great show lined up next week as ever. Tune in live on the Triple H 100.1 web uh to listen live at 8.30 or you can listen later in the day via the Stay in the Loop with Lucy podcast wherever you get them and don't forget I'm on iTunes podcast SoundCloud Stitcher or TuneIn and you can actually leave um, a comment which is always quite good because then it means that other people get to to uh, listen now I think really today's show has been all about expression expression is everything so um, free yourself from perfection, embrace being perfectly imperfect, which is an expression I love and have used much in my life. Stinking thinking gets put in the trash can. 
be responsible though and accountable for what you write. Be prepared to own what you spe- what you say, because if you're coming from the right intention and an intention that that comes from a place where you can sleep at night, knowing that you haven't intentionally caused anyone harm, then you're like the rest of us, learning how to express love in every aspect of your life. And love can be uh, direct and it can be less direct but it always has truth and honesty as part of its foundation. So it's always pertinent to remind ourselves of what has or is happening in our lives. We will and always will be us, constantly learning, but underneath, in our essence, amazing. The key is to reconnect to that space and learn to build a relationship with your body that holds that essence so we can recognize when our body's trying to tell us something isn't quite right, and then seek support with the appropriate support service, be that mental, physical, or perhaps educational. By listening and responding, we can build the tools to address what we do not yet feel equipped to manage. Because of course, we do most likely have those skills, we just don't have the confidence to apply them. That way, uh, we we don't wait for life to come to us, we take ourselves to life and we be the change we want to see in the world. Till next week's show, be kind, be caring, be love, be all of you. You've been listening to Stay in the Loop with Lucy on Triple H 100.1 FM. Time now for Funky Fabulous and Alchemy. We'll see you all next week. Mm-hmm.